Hello and welcome to the Pinnacle Podcast brought to you by Pinnacle.com, the online bookmaker that offers you low margins, high limits and a unique winner's welcome policy. We're up to episode five of our eSports mini-series and after a deep dive into the industry side of things, we're now looking at sport eSports from a better's point of view. Joining me today is a man who is clearly dedicated to his eSports betting. It's Adam Booth. Welcome to the Pinnacle Podcast, Adam. Thanks so much, Ben. Um, I was very excited when uh, you sent me uh, a little message saying, you know, would, would I would be interested in joining you for a conversation about esports? And uh, I've uh, jotted down a couple things to talk about, but it was clear um, that there's just so much, um, so many exciting things going on with this niche um, that I'm sure we won't even touch the tip of the iceberg, but uh, excited to jump in with you. Yeah, excited to have you on as well. And I, I trust you've been busy over the last couple of weeks with so much esports action going on. Yeah, um, it, it's been quite hilarious, actually. Um, I've, I've been sharing some esports uh, information publicly for about two years now. And uh, until this past month, nobody, I mean, not nobody, but uh, a large majority of people I came across sort of you know, were curious about esports, you know, asked a couple questions, but kind of moved on. Uh, but this past month, it's been clear uh, just how many people are, you know, very invested in having their hands in something. And uh, so it's made for uh, about as busy a month as ever. And like you said there, we'll, we'll try our best to kind of dig as deep as we can into esports betting with you. But more likely than not, we we probably won't reach that, that tip of the iceberg. But to to start us off, I guess, let's kind of talk a little bit about, about you and, and where this interest came from. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming here that the connection wasn't always there to betting. And did you, did you start out just as a fan of esports? Um, no, actually, it, sports betting kind of landed in my lap by accident. Um, about a decade ago, I, well, I mean, yeah, about a decade ago, I was working um, as a mathematics director for an educational software company in uh, my home country of Canada. And, uh, you know, I, I would, my hours were very flexible. So I'd work into the evening. Um, and one night the owner seat and CEO came by my office and uh, saw that I had the Edmonton Oilers Calgary Flames game on one of my monitors. And uh, I was working hard, of course. And uh, he sort of just said, uh, you, know, you know, you follow the NHL, you know, asked me about what I thought was going to happen and whatever game. And uh, that started, that conversation kind of happened a few more times where he'd come by my office and ask me about various NHL games that were coming up. And uh, I'm an Edmonton boy, born and raised. And uh, so, you know, it was a nice way to work late into the evenings, having a hockey game on the background. Um, and as it turns out, he is a big time gambler and former professional poker player. And so my entry into the sports betting world was talking to him about possible outcomes for games. Um, and I had no idea about pricing or, you know, having an edge or, you know, it, it was all just who you thought would good, was going to win. And, uh, he, you know, very wealthy man betting big sums of money. He sort of initiated me into what the sports betting world was. And when I eventually wanted to try my own hand at it, uh, Pinnacle was the first book 
that he suggested I use, funny enough. And at the time, I had no idea that Pinnacle was, you know, a premier bookmaker. And, and I, I swear Ben does not ask me to, you know, plug Pinnacle at all in this podcast. Um, it's it's just by happenstance that, um, you know, that was the first Pinnacle. I'd, uh, Pinnacle uh, was the first book I had an account with and popped a hundred bucks in and, you know, put 20 bucks on the Oilers one night to go to Boston pizza and watch a game with friends and blew the, all the winnings on wings and beer that night kind of thing. Um, and that was my sort of initiation into it. And um, then as far as esports, you know, I, you know, I wasn't raised in a house where gambling was ever discussed. It was, you know, my mother's side is, you know, very conservative and it was frowned upon. And so it wasn't like I had, you know, a mentor, somebody that um, sort of, it was part of, you know, something my dad did or anything like that. Um, gaming was much more of a vice for us kids growing up. And uh, the first game you might say I was addicted to was Counter-Strike 1.6. Um, and I got to be quite a nuisance with, you know, installing it regularly on the computer, even though my dad would, you know, clear it, uninstall it almost daily. Um, and it got to the point where I was actually uh, saving the install files on a floppy disk, uh, which I taped to the underside of the keyboard uh, so that the moment my parents left the house, I could, you know, install it really quick, go on and play Ice World or Scouts Knives or D-Dust or whatever but for 45 minutes while they got groceries and then, you know, to hit the power bar when I heard the garage door open and pretend it never happened. So. Um, that was sort of my first, um, I guess, the, how the, the sports betting and the, the uh, gaming got going. Um, as far as esports betting, um, I was a part of a um, private trading site that I joined, I think, in 2013. And um, someone on there posted uh, an article entitled The Esports Bible or something like that. And it had uh, a number of, you know, and I've written articles like this since, but at that time in 2013, 2014, it was very novel. And um, so I just had a read at the time. And it wasn't until about 2015, 2016, when I finished uh, law school, that I actually started to look at it as a, a betting possibility. And uh, Counter-Strike, given my, my history of knowing how that game worked uh, and how simplistic the actual um, objectives of the game are, um, that was the first game I, I got started betting. So how many, obviously the, the early days back when you were you were working and the, the guy kind of, and thanks for the, the pinnacle plug, by the way, we can send you the money later. <laughs> um, but, but how long between how long between those early bets on on the NHL and that that first bet on the on esports? What was the the gap in between those like then? Yeah, so I worked um, I worked for that company for another year um, after I would say, and I was betting almost exclusively NHL and ATP, and so NHL obviously the season runs from October through to June. And ATP, the season really gets going middle of January, kind of with the Aussie Open and ends, you know, in, in the fall. So they, there was a nice overlap for me to kind of focus on just two sports all through that time. Um, and as far as my personal personal life through those three, four years, um, I left the the, um, 
the software company and I went traveling uh, where sports betting was just a side thing with some savings. Uh, and then I went and taught primary school in uh, Kuwait for a year. And uh, that was quite the experience, but it was all with a plan to go to law school. And uh, so, yeah, and then I started law school in 2013. And uh, so there, there was definitely some other personal goals in my life. Um, as I said, I, I, gambling, sports betting, it was never a uh, something that even when I began doing it, thought this is going to enable me to do X, Y, and Z later in life. It wasn't until I graduated that um, I thought, you know, out of necessity, this is something that I could maybe have some success with. And esports, I have to say, um, my success in esports has granted me the ability to try to work um, and be better in many other traditional sports. Um, if I hadn't had the success in esports, I'm not sure that I would uh, be having this conversation at all today. And I'm sure we can dive a little bit deeper into how that success has come about. But but would you say that the that the passion for esports is is key to that success, or is it a different approach? Is it the the markets that are available, or the the competition in the markets within esports that have that have enabled success? Yeah, I I wouldn't say I'm I'm, o- I'm overly passionate about esports. I I believe that the market is simply softer. That there's um, a lot more. Um, you know, just uh, sort of hobbyists and, you know, it, it, there's very little sharp money. And so it, it, it creates a situation where pricing teams and players is largely just based on, you know, how they look rather than any statistical backing. And uh, um, just using that kind of basic foundation, it's been it's, it's, it's enabled me to sort of find a way to um, just have a, found, a solid foundation. Uh, it doesn't sound like anything genius for um, those who come from a, a sports betting background where they need that crutch of a model and, you know, a database to, to really be successful. So that's nothing new. Uh, but it's really not used in esports and uh, by by the betting market, I should say. Um, and a huge, a predominant amount of the money um, is, you know, recreational betting. So um, and so that leads into you know the market not being as sharp as it is in you know tennis and uh, baseball and that's and other traditional sports that have you know huge limits and you know syndicates and you know, you know, sports books that really, really know what they're doing. They have all the information from, you know, live feeds on weather to having somebody, you know, right there, um, courtside, you know, giving up-to-date information round the clock. Um, so esports just doesn't have that. And um, while I love to, you know, promote it and get more people involved in it, I think we're a, a, a long ways away from being scared that, you know, you can't beat an esports market. And those, the days when it was NHL and tennis and you said it was, it was just for fun. Did you, did you ever put any thought to kind of why your bets were winning and losing? Was it a game of you basically just trying to, trying to predict things as accurately as you can as a, as on the kind of like a fan's perspective? Was there, 
did you ever get to a level where you were kind of serious enough about those sports to put more thought to it? And you kind of mentioned there about like statistical backing or, or anything like that. Was that was that not around when you first started out or has that been something that's that's relatively new to you? So NHL, I've never had a losing season in NHL in, in a decade. And however, my approach has changed dramatically from that first two years, I would say when I started, you know, I remember having a, a discussion with, um, somebody via email that was um, sharing his NHL tips. And I, I made a comment, which is a very stupid comment um, in response that, you know, the winning side is the right side. And I, I still, I bookmarked that email, that discussion, because I know how far I've come from back then. And I know how, you know, green my approach was. And, um, at that time, you know, it, it was largely based on, and I'm just speaking about NHL here, it was largely based on what I was seeing in the games and believing that you had to watch things and, you know, know how teams and power plays were clicking and, you know, which uh, goalie was hot. And, you know, now, I, I mean, this past year, I had to tweet out probably a dozen times, starting goalies in hockey are pretty much irrelevant. I would have never, ever said something like that a decade ago. Um, and I, I think my evolution as a sports better um, began really as I started to understand that the unpredictability of sports betting, you know, which makes it the greatest challenge, um, is also why you can't focus on trying to predict the outcome. And that that shift from... Uh, what is the probability of the of a plethora of outcomes to um, guess guess the winner um, has taken my betting to the next level and and again this this is not groundbreaking stuff for um, traditional sports bettors who you know have been doing this you know for twenty plus years and stuff but for a lot of esports bettors. I have this conversation almost daily. I, I, I can't stress it enough. I, I get frequently people, so who's going to win this match? Um, so you like them, you're confident in them. And my response is always variations of, it's not about confidence, it's about value. And, and people confuse value with, you know, oh, he's not, he doesn't know who's going to win. He just wants to bet the dog because that's value. The dog is value. And, you know, if I'm betting a short favorite for, you know, two units is that, and that's what I post, it's, you know, he must be really confident because that's a 1.5 favorite. Whereas with he, where he's betting the dog, it's, you know, plus 350, uh, you know, and so therefore that that's just the value play. And, you know, I just posted my recap of my Starcraft weekend on Twitter. We had an 18 unit weekend um, based below 50% um, a win rate. And that's because, you know, we had two plus or two seven point five winners come in or something like that. Um, you know, how often does that happen in traditional sports in a day? And so I, I, I think that I have to demonstrate that my method today is successful uh, in order for people to believe it and, and see it for themselves. Whereas, you know, a decade ago, nobody questioned why I would take. Uh, you know, a, a 1.5 favorite um, on the money line, because, you know, it's 
the Boston Bruins playing, you know, the Arizona Coyotes and, you know, one team is a former Stanley Cup champion and the other hasn't made the playoffs in the past three seasons. So, you know, you don't have to justify that. But when you play a favor or a dog now, uh, and I play many dogs in, in all sports, uh, it, it's considered what's the justification for it. People don't want to bet it unless they see the long-term um, benefits. So I would say, you know, in that decade since, it's been a, a gradual transition of my approach and understanding. And and that and I, I know that I continue to need to learn yearly. Uh, and, and that's why, even though I do share a great deal, a deal of my approach publicly, I've also had a, an overwhelming amount of people who have, have reached out to, to share what they know about the industry um, and people who have been in sports betting for much longer than, you know, I've even been aware of it. So um, it's, it's a reciprocal thing. And um, I, I'm definitely uh, trying to improve my methodology every single year. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that those contrasts and, and some similarities between esports and traditional sports begin to appear. But kind of focusing on the, the esports industry specifically, what would you say is, I mean, so much has changed since you said you were reading that esports Bible article back in 2013 or 14, whenever it was. So what's what are some of the biggest changes do you think from a from an esports betting perspective in terms of the the landscape and what's available to customers or how customers behave? What's what's changed for you in that period? Um, hands down, it's the availability of markets. Um, you know, when I started betting esports, again, and it's it's kind of funny to think about because, you know, even me being on this podcast and you know being more um, in the know with esports, it's really just based on so few people in esports having that knowledge and even fewer sharing it. Um, I, you know, I really do believe that um, there's, you know, I, there's so much still to be done as far as becoming an expert in esports. So um, it, when we talk about me having knowledge in this niche, it's still five years <laughs> or less um, that I've, I've really invested in it. When you talk about somebody who's been betting NBA um, and is an expert in NBA betting or sharp and they're profitable year after year, you're talking 10, 20, 30 years or more. Um, so anyways, going back to the question a little bit, um, the changes I've seen, availability of markets. Uh, when when I got started that five years ago, it was, you know, you can bet a, a match money line and maybe a series handicap, maybe a couple totals on an over two and a half. Um, but there was no, you know, team totals. There was no props. There was no futures. There was nothing, no live betting. Um, I mean, even in the past year, we, we've we seen an overwhelming increase in daily fantasy lines being offered for esports, predominantly league and CSGO. Um, you can now bet live handicaps for Counter-Strike. Um, it's, there, there's really just a huge availability. And yes, the past month I've seen um, bookmakers that weren't previously offering esports to take an interest in it out of necessity for their own livelihood. Um, but over the past two years, a, a number of uh, big quality, you know, offshores have, you know, followed the pinnacle example and, tried to 
at least offer more than just a, a money line where you might have a, you know, 1.1 favorite and plus 600 dog and nobody really wants to get involved in that. They understand that people, you know, want options. And um, so that's certainly um, the biggest change. Um, as well, you know, I've, I've seen an improvement in the data available um, in CSGO League and Dota. Um, and a lot of this information is made available not for betting. It, it, while bettors will use it and they need to use it, um, these come from um, sites and companies that um, are vested in the games themselves. Um, so they do have a wide breadth of information. Um, so those types of sites are starting to appear more. Um, yeah, I, I'd say those are probably the, the two biggest um, improvements over the, the past five years. Well, on the the kind of notion of availability and the amount of titles that you can now bet on, and obviously you mentioned the markets there, I think it's probably a good time to to cover off what you do bet on because quite often we found in in these podcasts is talking about esports it's obviously a very generalized term so do you specialize in any specific titles yes absolutely um so i, I mentioned that cs was this that's cs's counter-strike global offensive that was the first one i got started with uh then moved into starcraft which as far as esports games go starcraft is like the grandfather it was um the huge movement in esports began really in uh, Korea, South Korea. And with StarCraft, it, it's, it's like a national sport there. And um, that that's really 20 years in the making. Um, and StarCraft 2, there was, you know, uh, scandals with it, you know, in the early 2010s there. Um, so it kind of killed off part of the professional scene, but it's still very alive. So StarCraft was the second one I got involved with. And then Dota, again, I think I added in 2017 uh, at some point. I know I was betting Dota by the time Liquid won TI, which is the international, it's the biggest um, esports tournament. Last year, their prize pool was 30-something million dollars. I mean, it's life-changing money now. That's where we're at. Um, so those are the three games I primarily focus year-round. There's so you know People that have been following me this past month Constantly, you know, yesterday pro pro league ended, and the first question I got before it was even over was, "So is that it for the year? There's no more pro league." And you know, my immediate response is, "No, actually, we've got six other tournaments and Counter Strike alone beginning over the next month." So you know, you, you have you know, esports is like tennis in that sense, with just games happening all around the clock at every level, um, and like you know, tennis and uh, soccer, you'll forgive me for saying soccer. Um, it, it's it's the type of thing where you really can specialize in particular leagues and branches of teams, um, and by doing so, you can learn you know what what to price teams at much quicker. You don't need to say okay, like because this this is and I, and I don't mean that to to um, sort of brush off the questions I get, but I do get asked, you know you're an esports expert what do you think about this call of duty match you know what do you think about this rocket league match um esports is electronic sports meaning it covers everything in the professional competitive gaming um so me special be talking about esports is really just those three esports year round um but you know when when 
we, we speak about what's available in the past couple of years, I've seen, you know, seven different first person shooter shooters offered at bookmakers. Um, I've seen uh, three different um, MOBAs, which is like Dota League of Legends. Um, you know, you, I even saw Lions for the Fortnite World Cup last year, um, which was being held at the Arthur Ashe Stadium. Um, you know, that's sort of like betting darts, I imagine, or I don't, I don't know. It, it, it seemed pretty hard to find any edge on that, but I do know I saw people tipping the Fortnite World Cup. Um, and then you've got, you know, all your sports games and, you know, fighting games. So, you know, when you look at what esports is capable of offering betters, um, it's, we're really, we're really just getting started. And so, yeah, I, I specialize in those three games, but it's by no means um, absolute. Well, then it kind of begs the question, doesn't it? Why why do you specialize in, in those games and, and why not the other MOBAs that have come or PUBG or Apex Legends or whatever it might be? Is it, because I know you mentioned about access to data, is it that they are more kind of stable, that they've been around for so long that you, you know what you're getting? What's the what's the reason for sticking with those and, and not the others? Right, so Counter-Strike and League of Legends are in a world of their own in terms of their... Um, popularity with the a subculture of betting uh betters and what's available from bookmakers kind of globally so those two games have huge amount, amounts of data available they have huge communities um websites dedicated to sharing blogs about meta you know following the teams financial investment they're just two the two biggest esports dota is of course up there as an esport, but not as much as a, of a from a betting perspective. Simply because the tournaments um, are not quite as frequent. There's lower levels of matches happening regularly, um, but it doesn't get the same attention. Um, so, for me, I haven't branched out too too much beyond those three games. You know, not I I got involved with League last year and Overwatch last year. But that it took me 18 months to, you know, collect some data on that to kind of find a system. I had to use my approach in Dota to translate to League of Legends, kill handicaps. You know, these things take a lot of time, um, and it, it's we're not at the point yet where there's people out there that are just so willing to collect all this, share it for free publicly, have open discourse about it. You know, it, it's very difficult to get into these other games. Um, but, you know, Overwatch is a very promising game. Also, Call of Duty. Um, these are some games that, you know, they do have big financial backing. You know, the Overwatch League, you know, it's kind of the forefront of American esports behind League of Legends at the moment. Um, and so I do think those types of titles um, can hold potential provided the community sticks around um so it's been it's partly based on the data it's also a tentativeness um to see how well established these games will be um and then third time i mean i i still esports is still less than half of my volume and moving into further games just takes a, a, a 
portion of dedication. And I would have actually loved to use this break to to look at Rocket League, uh, which I was having some conversations with a colleague about, um, as well as Overwatch. Um, and I've just been so caught up with just Counter-Strike Dota and StarCraft over the past month that I haven't made any progress on my goal to sort of make some headway into some other games. So we'll see. But but there those three those three games I mentioned, CSGO, League, and D- Dota, if you have those in your arsenal or just two of those three, you can have, you know, your whole calendar covered kind of um, to, to keep you profitable, um, whether it's as a professional or just a little bit of side income because the tournaments and, and leagues are running year round. And I know any any better worth their salt will will be aware of how important things like line shopping is and so when it when it comes to esports with that i know because we spoke to to moritz from grid who started gg wins pinnacle has has been offering esports for over a decade now and are there are there that many true bookmakers out there to help you find value and compare rods and things like that how do you how do you work around that so yeah as you mentioned any anybody that and i say this to people even if you're not a professional sports better or you, this isn't your sole income or you, that's not your goal. If you only, even if you only have a thousand dollars to sort of have a little hobby with split it up between a few different books. It, I can't tell you. And, and in esports, that's even more valuable because in, in traditional sports, if, if you're looking at an NBA game, you might get a half point difference or, you know, five cents difference between, uh, you know, six different books and the moment, you know, one of the the sharper books moves that you get that steam movement you know you're, you're sort of yeah you you might be able to hop on before a significant price change um but in esports daily you can find a huge distinction of prices on matches in all esports and this is again what's feeding into the not that bookmakers don't know what they're doing it's that the market doesn't really know what they're doing and you know if 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 the market doesn't know how to price things, then it's kind of a, a, a bookmaker's dream. Um, like e- even earlier today, I, I posted uh, chicken fighters. You know, you, you as you get into esports, you'll learn to love some of the t- the names of the teams. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of terminology and phrases and team names and, and player names that people are just thinking, "What on earth is that?" I think. Yeah, I'm betting on a team called Chicken Fighters. How serious can I really take this match? <laughs> Do I really want to put a couple hundred bucks on this? Um, yeah, no, I, I get those questions from people quite a bit. You know, laughing. But um, anyway, so Chicken Fighters today was priced at uh, plus one ten, um, and this morning you could get them uh still at that um but you could also uh get them minus 130 and you could play the other side liquid for even money and there's your perfect you know no risk bet on chicken fighters if you want um and that's and i'm not talking you know within a five minute swing that window's available i'm talking these lines are up there for hours at a variety of books not just you know one local has some weird wacky line and all the traditional books have, you know, a very static price range. You know, there's there's huge variety between. Um, even last week, I could get Fury at two point three at a couple places. They were down to even money at a few others. I mean, that's a five percent differential, and 
these lines are up for hours where, you know, people aren't reacting to it and there's not enough money coming in to really shake it. Um, so, and, and again, another one, um, I think Windstrike, I forget when they played recently, I just jotted it down. Um, I grabbed them at 1.85, 30 minutes before the match started. And at two of my other books, it was sitting at 1.67. You know, these, again, that's like a five, 6% difference or whatever in probability. And so when, when, when people tell me, you know, I, I got this question on Twitter and I've got it a few times actually, you know, how do you, what do you think of, the esports betting market and line moves against you and you know that sort of thing i i have a, a bit of um arrogance when it comes to being worried about line movement for or against me if it even if it moves you know on a starcraft pro i took i forget who it was uh he was plus one the 2.2 he closed at minus 150 you know 1.67 you know, he lost 2-0 over the weekend. And and I'm not saying, you know, every, every time that happens, it's going to win. But I have seen, I just have a, a disrespect for uh, believing that, you know, that, that the, the market really knows what it's doing. So um, my biggest emphasis in betting esports, and, and again, this is different from traditional sports betting, um, because I do believe that the, the, the line movements in those sports are um, an indication of where you want, which side you want to be on. Um, but in esports, just find the price you need. And so if you can have three or four books, that's that's really it. Even just for a, a casual amateur bettors, just break up your bankroll a little bit, and you you know before you deposit it, have a, a look at you know what's available. You know, are all these books offering a good variety of lines, and then split it up between those books. And, you know, you're going to make more and you're going to lose less. So it, it makes a much bigger difference to line shop in esports than it does in traditional sports because the pricing from book to book, and I'm talking about big books, not your little locals, are so distinct. I know we, we mentioned previously about the discrepancies that you come across when you're when you're line shopping, when you see these different odds across the board. Now, some people actually use that as their their way to bet and find what to bet on. Some people will use an eye test or, or knowledge of a sport. And, and like you said, how maybe you used to approach NHL betting. And then there are those out there that are very reliant on data. I mean, we can obviously talk all day about the benefits that that brings, but it needs to be used properly. So where where do you sit on this spectrum of betters? What what type of esports better are you? That's a great question. And and I think the, even the way you phrased it as what type of better are you? What is your approach is something that I even forget, you know, I, I get set in, here's what I use and that's the way it's got to be done. And uh, while it's work for me, and most especially in esports, I think it's dangerous to get set. So um, as far as, you know, like an eye test and, you know, data or, you know, watching the market and trying to react, um, you know, that is very, that final one is very popular in esports. I know people that they will watch the pinnacle lines and, you know, pinnacle has pretty, I think the highest limits I've seen uh, from reputable book, reputable bookmakers for esports. Um, 
and they'll watch those for the movement and then they'll just hammer some of you know the, the square books in you know europe and the states and you know i think they make a nice profit doing that and i don't think there's anything wrong with capitalizing on late movement uh or um wrong lines however they see their approach but the problem that i personally see with that is how uh replicable is it and how frequently could you apply it to other new esports coming up and you also don't know what's affecting that line movement so while i think that has its merits it's not for me i think unless you're a professional better who is just doing one or two esports all day you can't really follow an approach like that um, or, uh, unless you're getting signals to, to, you know, for a bot to do it automatically or something like that. And we know how those books treat, you know, a bot placing bets on their accounts. So um, for me, it, it, it lies between, um, I, I, while the eye test I think is important as far as understanding what leads um, an, a, to a certain outcome, um, I don't really use it for pricing anything. Um, so data and statistics on, you know, let's, let's talk about CSGO on teams performing on the server through a significant sample on a plethora of maps. That's what feeds into the grounding of my approach. Then I would say I'm very contrarian in what I see as the correct pricing of most teams. And that's what leads me to be on dogs in so many circumstances. You know, a, a colleague of mine, and, and I've gone on about this anecdote quite a bit. Um, he took a sample of 2000 matches in 2018, 2000 Counter-Strike matches. And, and I've got permission from him to say speak about this on, on this podcast. Um, and over those 2000 Counter-Strike matches, uh, the dog won 58% of those. Um, and this is from a prominent bookmaker that I'm not going to share, um, but, and, and it is old data and it's rather unnecessary for anything dealing with 2020 betting. Um, but it, it's an important contextual um, mindset to, to apply when you're getting involved in esports. It's, it, I know for many sharp uh, traditional betters, it's very um, uh, typical to say, the market knows what it's doing. If I am on the right side, I'll see that closing line value. That's the indication that I know what I'm doing. And I just, I, I'm throwing down the walls on that based on my own experience. And while I think the lines have got better over that time, um, I'm still very much in a contrarian basis for, um, and contrarian doesn't just relate to, okay, I'm always going to be on the dog. Um, but it, it is in the sense that I kind of can f get a feeling of why is this team priced? You know, like the perfect example, and I'm going to use this just because it happened over the weekend. Um, I took a straw, and this might sound like gibberish for some people listening, but I do want to bring it up because it was a prominent match. Um, Astralis was playing most sports four days ago in Counter-Strike in the ESL Pro League, and they were priced at, I believe 1.67 was where it closed and they crushed most sports 2-0, 16-4 and 16-1 or 16-3 and 16-1, something like that, which is about as dominant of a scoreline as you could ever have in Counter-Strike, let alone on, you know, a team priced at 1.67. And 
in the rematch in the playoffs, which was scheduled for Saturday, Astralis was now moved to 1.36. And that was a two-day separation based on the prior result. Now, in all honesty, do you really think that Astralis is that much better that it would warrant a 15% change in probability? And, and I'm asking you this honestly, Ben, um, as someone who might not bet esports or follow it at, at all. In traditional sports, would you ever find that within a two-day sample? Well, I think um, I'm trying to think of examples potentially where two days you get American sports, I guess, quick turnaround or soccer matches at a major tournament. But yeah, I mean, it's it certainly sounds like a very unique example of, of an odd shift happening. Right. And and it wasn't like, you know, line uh, money moved it to 1.36 or 1.33 or wherever it closed at on Saturday. It, it was this is where we're opening it. And I think it clo- I think a bit of money came in on the most sports side, um, and it did close about, you know, one point four, maybe one point four five. Even it did come back, but again, that's still a distinct change. And you know, I, I so in I was on Astralis in the first meeting, and uh, I gave my analysis for why I was taking them, being the best team in the world, and all that jazz. Um, in the rematch, I took most sports without a, a, a moment's hesitation. And I even on the Friday before the match in a different article, I just said, you know, um, most sports is priced at 3.0 or whatever they were at. I'm not worried about line movement. You can take them now, but I'm very confident that the market is not going to bring them down to, you know, 2.5 by the time the match starts. And I was exactly right. Um, but those are the types of things that, just demonstrate to me that there is not a huge amount of people that know what they're doing in this space. And that's not a criticism of any esports betters out there that bet on Astralis in the rematch. I, I It's simply an example of how I uh, approach esports, which is, you know, uh, rematches and contrarian angles and stuff like that present a very real value to an industry or a niche of an industry where people really don't have a huge expertise. Well, I think unfortunately a lot of people aren't aware of that within kind of any betting space. And I mean, using that specific example, it's not, it's not necessarily that, that you think mouse sports is, is going to win that game and you're some genius that managed to predict that it's, it's simply that those odds were in your opinion wrong. And it turned out to be a great move because you, you got the win and the value paid out, I guess. That's right. And, and, and I, again, I, just to, to go back to a point I made earlier, um, value is not to say <laughs> value is not to say that I don't think this team can win. And, and I'm sure some of your listeners will know that. And that seems like an obvious point. But given what I hear very frequently, it's, it, you know, value is just your your edge on the market. And in esports, that edge is just found in so many more matches and so much more frequently that I, I'm i really, really advocating for people looking at esports because I really think it's uh, an, an industry that people won't regret getting into, even if their goals are just as hobbyists and, you know, having a bit of fun money on a match. And um, so, yeah, no, I, I agree in many traditional sports that um, that, aspect of betting of you know what is value which is really the critical point price is the most important thing um it gets overlooked um 
And in esports, we have a, a younger demographic. So I, I think it's natural that I do get questioned about that a little bit more. And then in terms of time management and things like that, you've you've mentioned a couple of times that esports is is half your volume, but it seems like I mean we can let's zoom out from say the last month because I know it's been it's been manic and obviously there's been no traditional sports going on, but there's so many esports events compared to other sports and it's it's half your volume. What's the the time management like? Is it does it require more time for for less return or, or how do things work out with that? Yeah, actually, so um, I have my system set up um, that follows a set. Let's just speak about Counter-Strike, for instance, because it is still the game that I I bet the most. Um, And, you know, I've got this, you know, 20 matches in a day, probably or so averaged. And I've got my select uh, range of teams that I will stick to. And so that might be, 30 minutes of work where, you know, I know, I see the, 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 the price, uh, and it, it, it's instantaneous. I already know where I'm putting my money. And so even in the articles and, and, um, I, I do comment a lot on, you know, intricacies of the game and, you know, why teams win and what creates value on particular teams against other teams. I'll harp on about that a lot. Um, to help others understand the game better. But really, it's completely unnecessary. I, I mean, if I'm trading 40 or 50 matches in a, a plethora of sports in a day, I can't really go on and think for 30 minutes about each game, you know, try to look at tapes of previous matches. And, you know, ha- you know, I'll have an esports game up in the background, kind of like background noise occasionally. But none of what I do is based on what I see in the server. It's it's entirely based on statistics and pricing the line. And so get to, to, to cover a, a Counter-Strike card in a day, even like a typical day like this, where you've got, you know, eight ESEA MDL matches and two Flashpoint ones, I can run through that whole card and you know, an hour or less really and, and get all my action down immediately. The, the live betting aspect of it is a lot more um, time consuming. Um, and and it takes a greater, that portion of it takes a greater, greater understanding of the intricacies of the game, understand the economy, um, you know, what makes a good uh, live handicap wager, what makes a, you know, plus EV, we'll say money line wager on a comeback. Um, those types of things uh, in in all esports do take a lot more uh, or a deeper understanding of, of the games themselves. Um, but pre-match um, pricing based on statistics, I already know where I've got teams at in, in my model. And so it, it, it doesn't take a, a long duration at all. And now we never like to, to ask people to give away too much information on these podcasts, but for... I mean, there's a lot of people that are going to be listening to this that, that are probably new to esports betting, coming from the traditional side of things, or esports bettors that have been doing it for fun for for a little while and want to learn a little bit more. But when we when we talk about things like your the data you're using or the statistical analysis, what what kind of data is useful to to an esports better? In again, we can use CS:GO as the example, so I know that's it's split up by by maps and you kind of mentioned the the importance of the economy in play and stuff like that but 
kind of maybe what would you suggest someone new to it? What what should they look out for? What should they use when they're trying to price a match? Sure. No. And, and honestly, uh, what I use um, as, as far as understanding counter-strike and, and form and statistic, it all comes from HLTV. I mean, it, it's not, you know, I, I have my own spreadsheets of things, but it's, it's not as though I'm reinventing the wheel and I've created something better than what is publicly and free out there. Um, so what I share, honestly, it, it's, it's no big secret. So if, if we're looking at matches um, for Counter-Strike, you know, today we've got um, Gen G and Havu, um, and Havu's priced at 1.75, at 1.8 some places, and Gen G is about 1.95, 2.0. If we look at some of the stats that are coming into today um, would make Havu more valuable, it would be um, statistics on a variety of maps, so better form on more maps. And in Counter-Strike, with it being a series, a best of three, it's not like sports like tennis where you have a best of three, they're playing on the same court, switching sides under the same conditions uh, for three sets or possibly just two sets. In Counter-Strike, each map, which you can parallel to a set, is unique in that teams have a variety of strategies, experience, and... um, uh, intelligence, I guess. I guess it's a, a esports gaming intelligence uh, and ability on particular maps. So you want to look for um, how good they are on maps that are most likely to come up. So one of the things I like to do is work out the map veto prior to it being released. And and I I get told frequently, and I say told because I'm not going to listen. Um, but I, I I get questioned why I put bets down and counter-strike before knowing the map feed. And the reason is as soon as the maps come out, the prices change. If you only want to know, if you only want to bet, um, you know, map victors, then yeah, you might say it's more valuable to know certainly which map a team is picking. However, at the top levels of counter-strike teams have such varied map pools um, that they really need to be strong on five to six maps, undoubtedly. So in, you don't need to wait in order to say, okay, if this map comes up, I can only bet this team. If this map comes up, I can only bet that team. If that's the case, then you you probably don't understand Counter-Strike to a, a, a higher degree, to the high, degree needed to bet it um, with confidence. And you also will probably lose a, a ton of value um, because you know, something people think is as soon as the map vetoes come out, a whole bunch of money will move on a particular team on their particular map. That's not true. What happens is the books will adjust the moment the vetoes come out. That's why the books pay attention to the vetoes so that they they can get, they can adjust their lines before the money comes in. And there's just a huge, harsh overreaction oftentimes um, and it's, it's, if you want to play the contrarian side of that, sure, maybe it's better to wait. And then, you know, you know, like yesterday, for example, um, in the best of five between Mouse Sports and Fnatic, um, I had worked out the veto that I thought was most likely to happen with Fnatic getting the first choice. They would either get Inferno or Overpass. Um, Overpass being the less likely option as Mouse Sports had previously permabanned it um, for, you know, 145 days straight they hadn't played that map 
So I don't need to know that um, Fnatic should have a free map in either Inferno or Overpass in order to give them a map advantage, really, because mouse sports don't play either to a high level. And that's shown with their winless rate on Inferno, and that's shown with their uh, hiatus from playing Overpass for half a year. So I can get ahead of it based on the pricing. Um, sorry, by getting ahead of it, um, the, getting ahead of the map veto, I get ahead of the price movement. And that's exactly what happened. Fnatic get to pick Overpass first. Price drops down because everybody knows most sports hasn't played Overpass in a year. And there's, you know, a 20% or 20%, 20 cent movement in Fnatic's favor that I saved myself by just trying to work it out beforehand. And, you know, working, I, I have a colleague who, you know, he has a phenomenal model um, that has, that uh, tabulates all of the map vetoes. I mean, HLTV has now added this feature, funny enough, and we kind of kidded with him that his is better and he doesn't need to, you know, <laughs> feel like HLTV copied him, but um, he had tabulated um, the, the, the map uh, ban history and pick history for teams. Whereas prior to um, HLTV adding their analytics portion, they only had uh, map win rates and you couldn't see, you know, what their, their actual uh, team's ban history and pick history. And I realize I'm rambling on about this. It's going to sound like gibberish to a good portion of people, but when we ask in-depth questions, I got to give in-depth answers. So bear with me here. Um, now in, in understanding um, how uh, teams will ban maps um, and pick maps, uh, you get a, a firm understanding of how they see their own map veto. And um, so, again, figuring out the veto beforehand and then analyzing the team most likely to perform better and to what uh, probability is the next step from that. Um, so that those are your foundational things. I'm not going to get too much more into that because I'm sure it, it starts to sound kind of dull to people, but I'm happy to talk more in depth if anybody ever wants to ask. Um, but those, that, that's the ground for understanding um, map pools and how to um, get ahead of line movement when the vetoes get released. Yeah, I mean, drawing that line to, to a, a venue that an event is played and to a certain degree, I mean, I know it's not home field advantage, but I'm sure there's a an advantage across certain maps of certain teams. They want to play those maps, or or if they're not very good, avoid those maps. But when it comes down to statistics of performance, kind of across the board, I mean, I know it's kind of a uh, goes against what you're saying because we're talking now kind of generalized team performance. But is there useful information for teams or players to to help analyze how they've performed? Yeah, so just the things that would be available at your fingertips today that you don't need anything that I have privately or that my colleagues use privately. On HLTV, you can go to, you know, the Flashpoint tournament. You can go click on stats and you can look at round win percentage by team, by map, um, on T side, on CT side, which is a very important distinction. Um, just for those unaware, the T side is the harder side almost on every map in, in the competitive map pool. Um, and the reason is in, in Counter-Strike, uh, terrorists have to walk into angles held by counter-terrorists. 
So it's a natural advantage that someone holding a line is going to have their crosshair pointed at the angle where the enemy is going to come through, whereas the, the terrorist coming into the angle has to react. Now, having T-site information like round win percentage or opening kill or five versus four conversions all show an understanding of how to work a map better and then close out that advantage. Um, so teams that, you know, in, in the Flashpoint um, series of teams on T side, if you were to look right now at the five versus four uh, conversion percentage, so that's where teams that got the opening kill then won the round. The top four teams, sorry, the top five teams are all playing today um, are, and are all still in the tournament. That's MIBR, Mad Lions, Cloud9, Gen.G, and Havu. The bottom four teams were all eliminated without even making, oh, sorry, three of the bottom four never made playoffs. Contact, Orglis, Copenhagen Flames, and Envy. And you'll notice today I've taken um, uh, Havu against, or um, sorry, I've taken uh, Cloud9 against Orglis, and that's based partially on that statistic, which is Cloud9 converts 77% of their five versus four advantages on the terrorist side, whereas Orglis converts 5% less at 70%, uh, 6% less at 70%. So, you know, that, that doesn't sound like that much of a difference, but if you're a sports better and you know that in seven out of every 10 rounds, there's going to be a 5% or, you know, if, if a map goes 32, 30 rounds and you know that there's going to be two rounds that one team is going to convert more often than the other team, that creates a huge uh, advantage over a long term. And so that's why even when, you know, upsets happen and the unexpected happens with my approach, I'm not that bothered by it because I know again, coming back to these statistics, they all, the, the, the performance of teams all end up back here. And so it can be very self-correcting. And with HLTV, you can even change the, the date for your, um, your, your range of data. So if I wanted to look at, you know, has Mad Lions improved from the first three matches to their last four matches, I can see that improvement. Or similarly, if Orglis has fallen Sorry, Orglis is the name of the team, by the way. I should say it's not a, a team that I've forgotten the name of. Um, Orglis, if they've uh, decreased in performance over the last three matches, I can also pull up that data. So, you know, T-side win rate, conversion rate, um, other things. HLTV has added a few other things. You know, you can look at ADR, flash assist, trade percentage, Generally, those three categories all fit within the same range, and it's a marginal advantage of anything. But some of the um, teamwork and round win percentage, those statistics are much more important for um, uh, uh, correlation to uh, win probability. Now, I know you said you didn't want to dig too much into detail and potentially confuse people, but one of the things I'm aware of that I've always always been interested in from a betting perspective is that uh, CSGO, you mentioned the map pool and how they have certain maps available to, to pick and ban or veto. Um, those maps do happen to change now and again. Um, and also with, with the teams and the players individually, 
there seems to to me anyway there seems to be a lot more roster changes trades whatever it might be players leaving rosters um that seems quite frequent as well so as a, as a better how do you how do you deal with that is it something that once that happen that change happens do you kind of take a step back analyze things see how they work out or do you potentially see it as an opportunity to to kind of beat the bookmaker or other betters to using certain information and, and get value that way great questions and i can tell you've read up a little bit ben because that's not something someone who hasn't followed csgo at all would ask um so i'll touch on the map pools first and and this is a an issue in other games like uh, mobas as well um in csgo there's a competitive map pool of seven uh and that varies depending on when valve sees fit valve is the uh developer of the game uh when they see fit to put in an uh, update for a new map. So they'll pull out that map from, from being in the, this, the circuit and they'll add a new map that has just finished being updated. Or in the case of last year with Vertigo, Vertigo is the name of the map, um, where they added it to the competitive map pool and it had, had not been uh, a map in professional play at all. And maybe maybe in 1.6 it was, I can't recall. Um, but for Counter-Strike Global Offensive, the current iteration of the game, Vertigo had never been played. Um, now, I remarked last year that Vertigo, I stopped betting matches where I thought Vertigo was going to come up or I would wait to see if Vertigo came up to, to, to decide to make a bet or not. Because I thought that teams completely overvalued their strengths on that map it was coming up way too frequently for what I felt was good performances on that map. And they would often pick it against teams that their that team did not know if that other team had a history of playing that map. So it creates a situation of um, volatility that I just, uh, I was very cautious about and it did burn me uh, on several occasions. So if you look at in the competitive history of, maps mirage is the most played map it's been played fifteen thousand times in since what i think 2013 vertigo in the past year which is the, again the only time it's been played professionally has been played 800 times so when, when you consider the breadth of data available for you know and, and not you know that's mirage for all teams that have ever been tracked by hltv and that's vertigo for all teams However, if you look um, at even the top level of Counter-Strike, which is where I spend most of my time betting, it's still an, an, a map that teams really haven't figured out to an extent that anybody can be considered a Vertigo expert. I remarked in the article today, actually, funny enough, that yesterday Vertigo was picked three times uh, lost by the team that picked it all three times. And this is at the very top level of Counter-Strike. And in uh, the, out of the, top, the last seven times it's been picked by top 20 teams this past week, all seven teams lost it. And four of those seven, the team didn't even reach double digits. Now this can happen with other maps as well. Um, but the, the point being, a new map breeds significant volatility because not only do the teams have uh, difficulty knowing everything you can do with it from where to throw smokes, basic execute, how to do retakes, how to react to situations, where to rotate. Not only do they not have it figured out, but the betters also have difficulty knowing, 
okay, this team is three and zero and for three and one on this map. Does that mean they're good on it? I don't know. It, you know, Fnatic yesterday picked it into most sports as their map, and you know, Fnatic was one and two on it through Pro League. Most sports is two and one, both against kind of mediocre teams. You really don't get a sense of who's the valuable side of that, and and for that reason, it, it's it's a dangerous. Um, area to get involved. Now, if we look at just ma- the the two majors that have happened in the past year, actually, I think only one has had Vertigo. I think it was just the one in in the fall. Uh, Vertigo was played just six times through all of the qualifying stages through to the end. Inferno was played 130 times. Mirage 120. Now, majors are the the pinnacle of um, of counter the Counter Strike scene. It's 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 your Grand Slam, in essence. So if teams aren't willing, being willing to play it at the greatest stakes, we can't be willing to bet it. So covering, so talking about, map, and then and then the other problem, the problem I didn't mention was when a new map comes in, there's often a, a number of reworks that the developers have to do based on bugs, based on, you know, it's too T-sided, it's too CT-sided, you know, there's nowhere to hold the site properly. Um, you know, people, it, you know, it, it's just, it, it, tends to not be in the um, comfortable circulation of maps that we're used to and that have been around for ages. You know, Dust2, a a guy on Twitter said to me, you know, Dust2 looks the exact same as it did when he played Counter-Strike 1.6 20 years ago. And it's true. The layout is overall pretty much the same. You know, the graphics have upgraded slightly and, you know, there's more open areas or, you know, a a barrel somewhere that wasn't before, but it's been tested in the professional climate for years now. And we know how it's going to be worked with vertigo. We have a current iteration that's been up for, you know, a few months now, but it might still see another update or patch come in very frequently. And this is similar in um, MOBAs in the sense that in Dota and league of legends, patches come out that can completely change a hero pool for a good portion of teams and it can affect how you would price teams. So often when a new patch comes out, it's best to sort of read some dedicated blog notes about it. And and I've shared some of these before from people that, you know, their passion is Dota. They, you know, they collect that data. They, they know the meta intricately. They know the win rates of the heroes at all levels. Those types of people are where are the people, and they're not sports bettors, but they're the types of people who are so passionate about their game that you want to know what their thoughts are before getting involved. So it, it's more of an issue in MOBAs because the heroes are everything. And um, Counter-Strike, when a new map gets added, you can still avoid it. Um, with Dota and League, when a new patch comes in, it often affects you know 60 heroes or champions. Um, Dota is infamous for, in July, a month before the International, they released the TI patch. <laughs> and in, in essence, what it does is it's it creates a time frame for um, teams to prepare for that patch. So it doesn't give anybody a significant advantage on what they can do. Like, you, you can't really prepare for what heroes you're going to play for TI beyond that patch coming out because it often is earth shattering in the sense that 
it's going to completely change the the meta for ti alone and then after ti is done there's often a new hero added uh into into the game entirely and so you have another it uh, you know let's call it fun uh adventure to sort of understand how that new hero or champion uh will affect what's already in the meta so those things are an issue with esports betting it can create volatility but it's not as though they're so groundbreaking that you can't get around them um, once you are a bit more established in the esports betting scene you also brought up uh, about roster changes and um as a sports better, I love, and this is more of a, a practical lesson for people to to, to know about esports, uh, especially in CS:GO. It's probably one of the worst games for this. Teams love to just chuck players within three or six months, um, based on poor results, and instead of understanding that you've got all the pieces necessary to get the job done now, there's a, a sort of high frequency of it's the player that isn't leading us to success. Frequently, and, and I still can't believe I'm saying this in 2020, frequently that comes in the form of kicking the in-game leader, who is the head tactician. He's the one responsible for uh, coming up with the strategies the team is going to apply against opponents. He's the one in the middle of the game who's responsible for um, what's what actual plays they're going to execute on what round. Um, and he's also the one responsible for reacting to what the other opposing team is doing, as well as the other in-game leader. It's a huge amount of responsibility. Nobody really ever wants to be that player. Um, and so when an in-game leader is kicked from a team, I will react very heavily against the pricing of that team. Almost almost in every scenario. Yeah, no, I know <laughs> a lot of people listening to this when you... IGL, AWP, you, you talk about map names and things like that. They're, they're probably thinking, what on earth is going on? But I can I can certainly... Why is he speaking gibberish? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know firsthand, I've, I've seen from the guys in the, the Pinnacle office when they they show that a map changes, maybe like a gap in a roof to, to throw a grenade or a ledge that a player can stand on or now can't stand on because of a an update and things like that it's all obviously very important we're probably getting a little little bit more high level than than beginner stuff here but i assume there's um resources at your disposal i know you've you've spoken about colleagues or friends that that often share this information with you but is there is there a, a hub of of information that you have access to that that people can go outside of the the data on hltv is there is there articles or or other materials out there that people can read so I should, yeah, so none of what me and my colleagues use privately is available, but there are blogs and, and two that I recommended recently in an article I wrote for um, SBR was the 160.net blog. Uh, and 160.net is a um, uh, CSGO firm that creates... Um, well, it collects enormous data like HLTV, but they they sell it, uh, which is the difference there. But on the blog portion, they go into great detail about current meta changes, whether it's changes to the pricing of a gun or accuracy of a gun, um, changes to um, 
a map like you mentioned with a, a skybox being removed so you could throw a, a smoke grenade through it. Um, that's one. Um, the Bayes.gg uh, blog as well. Bayes is a data firm. Um, and I, I think they have a relationship with some books. I'm not sure. Um, but they also write more in-depth articles on um, the workings of games and things that they're developing and providing uh, in CSGO specifically um, that can give you more in-depth. Um, League of Legends, I'd have to say, as far as um, blogs and uh, meta articles, they have a huge plethora um, Oracle's Elixir is one that I frequently use just for trying to understand um, how things have changed, what the different types of league meta coming from Korea and China compared to the West, what how that clashes, you know, for these bigger international tournaments like MSI coming up. Um, and then Dota Buff um, is a great one for Dota where they not only have all of the data for all professional matches, on every hero from damage, gold, um, swings, um, but they also provide articles on what the current meta is with each updated patch. Um, and then there's a there's a, um, a a great one that I just came across. I believe last year, maybe it was the year before. It's called Strats.com, and they're I think they're going to be a very big esports company in the future. Um, right now, I believe they're only working with Dota. Um, but you can actually, and, and they're specializing in helping uh, players with Dota analyze their um, their own games. However, from a betting perspective, they also um, track the professional matches and they provide um, uh, playback features without having to watch the whole match. You can watch, um, it, it. I don't know what it's called, but it, it's like a playback feature with a, a little model of the actual game that played out where you can see all of these very important criteria happening in the game and you can break down what led to an outcome more specifically. I find it really useful to use that for live betting to understand when to hit a line live um, before perhaps a big team fight um, on certain heroes uh, before objective is taken. So strats.com is all, and that's S-T-R-A-T-Z, and again, I'm not affiliated with any of these sites. They're just free-to-use sites that <clears throat> I've benefited from in the past few years. And um, and honestly, every year more appear. So this is by no means extensive or exhaustive. Um, but for those people looking to read up and research and come up with their own approach for esports that have no prior experience playing the games, um, those are a handful of sites that I really recommend. And, and, and that brings me to another point, Ben. Um, you know, there, there is an emphasis sometimes on we need to be watching sports. Uh, I almost call it sports games, like a, someone who doesn't follow sports at all. Um, there, there's frequently an emphasis that we need to be following it and watching it and knowing, you know, changes of momentum in it and, you know, what led to success and I'll have games on in the background and I'll have hockey games on, you know, if I'm working into the night. Um, but I can't state enough how overused that is. And, and I do believe that people would be much more efficient with betting and would, would be able to get involved in, in uh, a more varied amount of sports and esports if they focus on the, the statistics that lead to success and just isolating those after games 
um, instead of, you know, I know this team won because they um, won this clutch round, so it was lucky, so I made the right bet. No, you got to look at how often were they getting the chances to win prior to that, those those types of statistics. So, um, no, there, there's definitely a good amount um, in CSGO, League of Legends, and Dota to get involved um, from a betting perspective. Beyond that, I haven't seen that many quality sites in other games. Um, but again, we're, I feel like we're at the very tip of where esports is going to be even in another two years down the road. Well, thank you very much. I think you're, you're definitely pre- preaching to the choir about the, the fact that esports is here to stay. I mean, Marco's been very vocal about it. Obviously, Pinnacle very committed to it as well. And I think bit by bit, the, the doubters are beginning to see just the, the potential that it offers. And if if we talk about the the future of esports and, and esports betting, then what what do you want to happen? Is it as simple as you want more bookmakers, more competition? Yeah, um, there's well, first there's there's a bit of a stigma about esports betting. You know that it's what kids do. That esports is you know just nerds playing games. They don't recognize the skill involved, and they don't understand that these are professionals in every sense of the word that they're competing for large sums of money that is taken very seriously, that they have trainers and physicians and so not physicians, um, dietitians, and they, I'm sure they have physicians as well. Um, but um, it, it's, it's got to the point now where esports um, is very professional. Um, it's not like there's match fixing happening in 40% of matches and you need to be worried about, you know, somebody, you know, manipulating a line because you know the prize pool is only three hundred dollars and they could put you know four grand down on pinnacle these things are things of the past as the money has been invested in esports we have less of that to worry about and um as far as where i'd like esports to go um from a betting perspective um just the more free data, I guess. That sounds a bit selfish for me to say. Um, but but as and, and I mean that more in, in other varied games because I think as the 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 collection of data in, in other esports happens, books will be more willing to take that risk of offering lines. Um, and it'll it'll be a, a, a reciprocal process of um, you know um, the, the being offered the market and um, the market get receiving action and the word will spread. And so I'd like to see that. Um, and, and, you know, I would have liked esports to be brought under the spotlight um, in better circumstances uh, given the past month. Um, and I've received a few of the, oh, there's nothing else to bet. Tell me about esports so I can have a little degenerate action down. Um, the overwhelming majority of people, uh, and I mean a staggering amount of people uh, that have sent me messages over the past month have just been so pleased with the product, um, with the value that they're finding. Um, and this is across the globe. I, I mean this literally. It's not just in the States. Um, and while they're excited for sports to return, um, they there's a, a general consensus of the messages I've received that people would like to still give this a look even after um, that the, the sports returns. So, um, and and there's there's of course you know I would like to see more markets available you know I I had a conversation with the head sports trader at a, an esports book a month ago where I was asking him if uh, there was a chance his book might ever offer um, 
lines for betting on the actual veto of a Counter-Strike match, which is, it, it's, it, it might sound like a fool's errand, uh, but for, for myself and some colleagues, we spend so much time working out map vetoes for, for matches that sometimes we get the satisfaction of just get guessing the veto correctly and getting ahead of that value. So, um, and he assured me that, you know, that is a possibility down the line. Um, you know, live Dota spreads on kill handicaps, you know, lines remaining up after drafts or, um, you know, in StarCraft over the weekend, um, one book, and uh, I, I won't say who, because it's kind of unimportant anyway, um, they offered live StarCraft lines. First time I've seen that in five years, um, if ever. I don't know if anyone else has done that. So you could actually see the builds that these professional gamers were opening with, and you might have just a little bit more information a minute or two into the match. So there's there's a huge amount that can still be done with offerings for esports. I I have um, a general optimistic belief that we will get there um, in in the very near future, um, but it, it does uh, come about from more people getting involved in esports and seeing what a, a, a profitable profitable venture it can be. So, um, yeah, I think that that's uh, about all I had to say on that. And then personally just to just to wrap up was it you mentioned about the less than 50 percent of the volume and and whatnot do you see yourself moving more into esports and away from other things in life um i mean it, it's gonna kind of con- be dependent on my personal goals and how quickly some of the um, progressions in other esports happen um the balance i have right now i'm very happy with um you know, I, I've been doing some esports articles for SBR for about two years now without with very little attention. It was kind of like a nice little side income there. Um, and I, I've been happy to do that. But having a teaching degree, having a law degree, it, it, you know, I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to be doing sports betting. I, I, it's it's got me from point A to B in, in what I had to do for my personal life. Um, and while I love esports and I find them very entertaining. Um, it's not as though I see myself necessarily being a hundred percent involved in esports one day and only working in that industry. I mean, it, it's possible. We, we we don't know, you know, the paths. You know, uh, one door closes, another door opens. Kind of um, cliche saying, but um, I while I'm open to the idea of working more heavily in the esports industry and um, you know, even looking uh, at other um, titles as potential avenues of income. Um, it's not at the forefront of my mind. Um, so, yeah, it's it's going to be very dependent on, um, you know, personal plans with um, with family and relationships and stuff like that, of course. Well, we'll have to we'll have to see what the future holds. I've I've really enjoyed talking <laughs> to you, Adam. Um, I'm sure it's going to be a great episode for our listeners. Unfortunately, we have run out of time for today. So I, I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on and, and helping others out there learn about esports betting. Thanks so much, Ben. And I know you're you're active on Twitter. You you share a lot of information and the, the content that you put out there. So can you maybe just give a shout out for your your Twitter handle from where people can learn more from you? Oh, sure. I thought uh, I was supposed to just say the thanks, Ben, goodbye bit there. But uh, no, I, I, I truly do. Um, Pinnacle was the first book I ever opened an account with. And uh, they have been an advocate for esports for so long that it has just been too uh, nice uh, a scenario uh, with, with worlds colliding to, to come and join you on the podcast. Um, my my 
Twitter handle where I do share esports information and uh, general chat about matches and you know how you can learn more about esports betting. Uh, you can find at LockQwerty. That's L O C K E Q W E R T Y. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I do give out some uh, some bets that I'm on for that. It's it's only a portion of what I bet. Um, and I'm happy to do that. I, the only thing I've ever asked is people have the right attitude when it comes to sports betting, it comes to following advice, comes to asking for information. Um, but um, I'm more than willing to spend some time um, discussing and, and for the reason that I do find that people reciprocate and try to um, be supportive in their own way back. Um, so Anyway, Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure talking. I, I forget how long we've been, uh, I've been rambling for, but as I said at the beginning of the show, there's no way I'm going to be able to talk about everything that I would like to talk about. Um, but I'm sure that's uh, typical for you on these, uh, these episodes. So again, I am so appreciative of the uh, opportunity to, uh, to chat with you. Great stuff. Thank you very much, Adam. And, and if anyone listening does need any more help with esports or esports betting, you can follow at Pinnacle Esports on Twitter and also check out our selection of articles on the esports section of the Pinnacle website. Thanks for listening and bye for now. <laughs>